0: Man, I'm excited to be here. I didn't know how to... When I came up here, I'm like, what am I going to say? And I just want to say that one of the nicest things as a professor is when you show up somewhere to speak and you meet the parents of the students in your class, it's just wonderful to see the parents that care that much. But it's also wonderful when parents are willing to tell embarrassing stories about those same children. (laughs) And when I go back on Monday, I can say things that will... It's going to be wonderful. So... So the two of you who gave me some good dirt on your kids, thank you. <laughs> and then I just, I wanted to say one more, I wasn't going to say this, but when you said Tom Nichols, did he wear American flag shirts even back then? Okay, okay. <laughs> I love Tom, but that's also what I know about Tom too. So, okay, uh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here today. It's nice to meet you. It is It is nice though when you're... You're at a church a long ways away, and you show up and you have that connection in the Lord. It is really nice. So uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 1 today. Um, I I enjoy this book. I love the book of Proverbs. Um, I got the blessing to be able to teach a class at the college on it. So I get to even. There's a time in life where I needed wisdom. I had some struggles going on, and so I spent a lot of time in the book of Proverbs, and it was really nourishing for my soul. And I, from time to time, I'll come back to it and think, oh, I've been in Proverbs plenty, I don't need to be in it. And I'll dive back in, and it seems that no matter where I'm at in life, this book says something. But it makes sense, because in the very first uh, chapter, in verse 4, it says that the purpose of the book is to give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth. And even the way it's phrased, is, is Solomon speaking to the next generation of Israelite men and the young people, actually. So it makes sense that I wouldn't be something that would be valuable to you as you're growing up as a kid and even as you're a teen. But he goes on in verse 5 to say, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and let the one who understands obtain guidance. Now, I'm not claiming to be wise, but I think the principle there is that whether you're young or even very old, this book has wisdom for you. So, it's always been a nourishing book for me. I want to go ahead and we'll start reading in chapter 1, verse 20. And I just want to cover the rest of the chapter. And this, uh, if I had to title this message, I would say, When It's Too Late for Wisdom. And I have some pictures, I didn't bring them today. Um, Have you ever seen those people who get on like little BMX bikes and ride around and jump up and do tricks on them? I have this one great picture of the BMX bike rider. He's obviously been up in the air, and he's about to land. The problem is his wheels aren't down like this. They're like this. And his face, which should be above the wheels, is right here, and he's he's like inches from hitting the concrete. And whoever the photographer has caught it right before that guy just smacked his face. And I've often put that up and said, Oops, it's too late to go back and not make that jump. Like, you're too far committed, and so... Oh, I don't. Oh, i got to turn that thing on. I'm so sorry. Hey, there we go. Is that better? Okay, sorry about that. My bad. Oh, David, thank you for helping me. Uh, so this whole chapter is kind of about those kinds of life, life situations where you're about to have something happen, and then it's a little too late to go back and deal with that. But I think there's some great principles in here. So let's go ahead and let's pray, and then I just want to read the text. Father, we love you. God, thank you for the way you encourage us. Thank you you, for the way that you provide us with your word, God, to nourish our our inner people, our inner men and women, our hearts, our souls, our minds. Uh, Father, in your wisdom, at just the right time, uh, you had your son come, and you had the disciples write their books. And so in your perfect plan, God, you chose to give us a Bible, Father. So we trust you. We trust you. And we turn to this book now for wisdom, and we want to see ourselves in it. We want to see where this book would give us instruction, and where it would give us wisdom, and perhaps even give us correction. Father, we love you. Thank you for being a gracious God. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, a little bit of background. Uh, Wisdom here is a person. But not really. So it's like being personified. It's like if I talk about an animal like it's a real person, I don't really mean that. But wisdom here is going to be doing things that people do. You should ask questions. Why is wisdom doing that? And then as we go through, we'll have some answers for that. Verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates... She speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my rebuke, behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I've called on you, and you've refused to listen. Stretched out my hand, but no one is heeded. Because you have ignored all of my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm. When calamity comes on you like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me. But I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge, and they did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel, and despised all of my rebuke. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way, and they will have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without the dread of disaster who i remember first time i read this and i was really thinking about it and wisdom seems like a rude person so in high school if you're walking down the hallway and you're a girl and you're carrying all your books and you drop all your books What do your friends do? They come up and they help you pick those books up because they're your friends and they love you. If you're a guy, you're walking down the hallway and you drop all your books. What do your guy friends do because they love you? (laughs) They kick the books down the hallway, right? (laughs) Right? They walk up, they're like, "Oh, dude," you know. Uh, Now, here is that what? So wisdom is literally going to mock you, and man, is it like a, a ha ha mocking? No, I, th- I think it's actually, these are some pretty serious life situations. And wisdom laughs at you? I mean, I think it's, okay, it's your friend and you kick the books down the hall. That's not that big of a deal. Uh, but what if it's the, one that, the person that no one likes and you go up and kick the books? See how there's a different intent behind that? Man, when I read this, it almost sounds like wisdom's doing that. But that doesn't seem very godly. Is the Bible telling us that wisdom isn't godly? All right, that's what we want to answer. That's what we want to figure out. What's going on in this weird book or in this weird passage here? So when we start in verse 20, what I would say is there's three sections to this passage, and then there's the lesson Solomon wants us to get. The first section is the warning. It starts in verse 20, and we go all the way to 23. So this is wisdom, and she's going to offer a warning. And if you want to be wise, you need to listen to her warning. So we're going to have this warning that's the first three verses. In verse 24, all the way down to 27, we're going to see wisdom's laughter. So you have wisdom's warning first. If you don't listen to the warning, then what do you get from wisdom? You get her laughter. She's going to laugh at you. She's going to mock you. But then, in verse 28, it gets even worse. We have her warning in the first three verses. Then she laughs at us in the next few. But from 28 to 31... We get her silence. She gives us the silent treatment, the cold shoulder. She doesn't talk to us anymore. So it kind of is a descending, like, here's my warning. Listen, if you don't listen, I'm going to laugh at you. And then when actually the calamity hits, she goes silent and doesn't even speak. And that can seem like pretty weird. If you go to verse 32 and 33, that's where I'm going to say Solomon's going to give us the lesson that he wants us to understand. So we'll go back in 20. We'll just walk through it and try to understand what's going on. Um, So wisdom, verse 20. She's doing a lot of stuff. She cries out in the street. She cries aloud in the street. Now, I don't think she's crying like she's sad. She's yelling. She's Maybe if you were trying to sell newspapers and you're like, Hey, extra, extra morning paper. You're out selling hot dogs or whatever and you're yelling. That's the kind of thing she's doing when she's crying out. So she cries aloud in the streets in the markets she raises her voice and then it says something more about those streets at the head of noisy streets she cries out and at the entrance of the city gates she speaks so what what's similar about all those locations you got streets you got markets you got noisy streets and you got the city gate entrance think about that in your mind for a minute what's the same or what's similar about all of those if you were in this Era, you would have understood immediately. You would have known what Solomon's getting at. So let me say it like this Wisdom cries aloud at the football game. She raises her voice at the grocery store. At the front of Walmart, she cries out. And at the City Hall Council meeting, she speaks. Okay. Does that make a little more sense? What's similar about those locations, aside from their horrible illustration I came up with on the fly? uh, A lot of people are in those places, right? And so when wisdom calls out her message, is she trying to hide it? No, she wants this to be available. And the the funny thing is, there's a neat little comparison or contrast. If you start in verse 8 and read to verse 19, it's this story about these youths being enticed to go ambush people and be highway robbers and you get the sense that the highway robbers are like hey man come with us we're gonna set up an ambush we're gonna jump people we'll cut their throats and kill them and we'll take all their stuff and we'll get rich But they're not out at the noisy streets or at the front of Walmart saying, hey, we're going to rob people. Anyone want to join our gang? Like that's not happening at the front of Walmart or in the city streets. They're like hiding their message. They're trying to do it in a sneaky way. What's wisdom doing? She actually has this message that she wants everyone to know. So the first idea that we take under her warning is that her wisdom is available to everybody. There's nobody that she's trying to keep her wisdom from. Everybody can have access to the kind of wisdom that Solomon's talking about here. It's not hidden. Do you ever read your Bible and think that God's trying to hide stuff from you? Man, why didn't God make this easier to understand? I'm so confused about my life. Well, there are obviously some confusing things in the Bible, like in the book of Ruth, when Boaz gives the guy a shoe and that seals the deal of the marriage. I mean, I've, I didn't when I proposed to Robin, I did not give her dad a shoe. It's not how it worked. It would have been weird. But in that culture, Robin's like, thank you for bringing me up right now. But in that culture, that was like a normal thing. So there's weird things. But for the most part, what God offers us is available. He wants us. He's, he doesn't want to... I think sometimes we get this idea that God is trying to trick us. Or he doesn't want us to know what it is that he wants for our life. But here I would say, I think we see the opposite. So then what's the problem if we don't understand? All right. So here's here's the, here's the next part. Go to verse 22. Here's her warning. Okay. This is her offer. She says, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? Now, much to the chagrin of the minimalism movement that's going through our country. This is not talking about minimalism. This is not Marie what her face is where she wants you to fold all your clothes and get rid of all your stuff you don't need. This is not that kind of simplicity. This is like being naive. Does anyone Bible say naive or simpleton or something like that? Yeah. The idea is that here's this youth who doesn't really know how the world works, uh, the kind of person that will like buy the oil they just discovered, in like i don't know wherever there's no oil and they're like okay sure or like um the the nairobi prince in the email you get i'm a prince in nairobi and i want to give you a bunch of money that's yours i just need you to send me your credit card number so i can get the funds going that's the kind of naivete that's going on here you just don't know how the world works so how long do those naive people want to just keep being naive that's her question Well, I don't think anyone naive wants to stay naive, right? All right. How long will you scoffers delight in your scoffing? Now, maybe your Bible says scorners. The idea is these people know right, they know wrong, and they don't want to do the right. They are, in fact, they mock the right. They scorn it. They talk about how stupid it is. So these people really do want to keep doing what they're doing, and they know what they should be doing. And then fools hating knowledge. Fools are just the run-of-the-mill foolish person. They're folly. They live in folly. They don't follow the Lord. And there's a, there's not. It's not only like a knowledge thing here. There's a moral component. In the book of Proverbs, if you're a fool, it's not just that you're bad at handling money. You don't know what account to invest it in. It's actually that you're sinful. You're not living in the fear of the Lord, you're living for self, you're living for pleasure, you're living for your own happiness and desires, you're living in idolatry. That's the idea that's going on behind this thought here. So these fools are not simply uneducated people. It's actually that going for the, you know the you have know, the simpleton, the fool and the scorner. It's a more it's like another level of rebellion against God's ways of living. And so she says, how long do you guys want to stay that way? Now, I doubt other than, well, I I doubt the simpletons like, well, I like being simple. They probably don't realize they're simple. But the rest are probably like, no, I don't want anything to do with what God has to say. I don't want to live that way. Or maybe they're like, yeah, I do. But then actually they go out and don't do it. And so she says in verse 23, here's the offer. It's kind of a warning, though. Hear her voice. If you turn my reproof, behold, or my rebuke, I'd pour out my spirit on you. I'd make my words known to you. You'd actually understand. And you'd, you wouldn't be fools anymore. And so she she's offering wisdom. And all you have to do is to turn. To, to, to turn away from your folly and turn toward the Lord. Now that's interesting. She didn't say clean yourself up. She didn't say earn it. She didn't say work really hard and make yourself acceptable to it. She simply said, turn. Here's the sinful way you're living. Would you want to be wise? Turn. That's it. It's, it's actually this consistent with the offer of the gospel in the New Testament. Christ doesn't want us to clean ourselves up. with. Christ doesn't want us to make ourselves perfect. We can't do those things. So what are we to do? Humbly in faith, we turn to God and we ask him for forgiveness. And then we try to walk in his spirit and grow in the grace of God. And so this is actually, it's not the gospel here, but I'm saying it's its very, very close. If you go to chapter 3, you can do this later, 3 through 12, there's a whole bunch of offers of, how do you, do you want to be blessed? Here's how to be blessed in life. And all of them are just, turn from your wicked ways. Like, turn away from it. And so this is the offer. Wisdom is saying, it's this simple. Just turn from your ways, and I will bless you with my wisdom. I'll let you be wise. Now look at her exasperation. She says, verse 24, now here's where she starts to laugh. Here's where she starts to laugh. Because I have called out and you have refused to listen. I've stretched out my hand and no one is heeded. Because you have ignored all of my counsel and you've had none of my reproof. Man, she really sounds like she is, I have tried. I have told you. I have called out. I have been at the front of Walmart saying, hey, do you want to be wise? No one listens. I put out my hand like I offered it. You just slapped it away. She's just like, "Ah, oh, I'm exasperated. I can, I've been there. You've probably been there. You're trying to help someone and they just won't listen. And so here she says, you've refused, you haven't heeded, you have ignored, and you would have none of. So in 24 and 25, so that we're not confused, this is a willful rejection. This is a willful rejection. These people are not rejecting accidentally. It's not like, oh, I didn't hear what you said. I would have done that, but I didn't know. They all knew. They all understood. And then they did not listen to wisdom. Now, listening here is more than just hearing something and being aware of it. It's, it's actually obeying. It's actually heeding. Um, the parents in the room understand this. You've probably requested or more your children to do things, and they heard, okay, but they didn't always heed. And I was like that when I was young. My parents often told me things, and I often didn't heed. So when I say this is a willful rejection, sometimes you imagine someone standing right here, and you say, hey, go down there, and you're like, No. I'm not going to go down there, whatever it is, and it's a direct, but it could be this. Uh, Hey, go do that. Okay, yeah. And you're just not going to do it. So you know what you should do, but maybe something else is more important, or maybe you're too busy, or hey, maybe there's this. Both of those are willful rejections. The one seems a little less willful, like, oh, I forgot. Now, if you really forgot, that's a little different. So it's a willful rejection. And then notice how many times she says she tried to offer it. You know, in the first part, she was at all these different places offering, and then they refused. They, they struck away her hand. They ignored. They wouldn't have any of her counsel. There's this idea that there's a habitual rejection, uh, a continual uh, rejecting of it. So let me give you an example of what this looks like. Uh, I was young once, not now, I'm 41. Uh, but when I was 17, uh, I had a car, and I would drive my car places, and I didn't drive slowly. Okay? Now, I said that, and I saw like seven parents go, <laughs> so you know what this is like. And so as a parent, what do you tell your child when they drive too quickly? Slow down. You got to be careful. And one of the big things that I would do that drove my parents bonkers was I would back out of the driveway very quickly because I was in a hurry. And the problem is, when you turn around and look, you don't always see. I mean, you turn around. I would do what they said. I look in my mirrors. Uh, but when you're going fast, you don't know what's going to be behind you. And uh, I learned this lesson later when I was backing on my. I was an adult. I was backing on my driveway slowly, and I looked all the ways. And I got right to the sidewalk, and I stopped to make one more check. And here's an elderly lady walking a dog, and she was waiting patiently for me, and I had not seen her at all. And I was going slow, so that's a good reason to go slow because you sometimes don't see. Well, here I am, 17, 19. I can't remember how old I am. Maybe I was married at the time, but I was very young, like in my 20s at the, at, the, at the oldest. And so I go, and I'm backing out, and the car I was driving had a stick shift. It wasn't an automatic. And so I'd put it in reverse, and I was turned around going, and I felt the stick shift halfway through the driveway go. And I thought, uh-oh. Like a tra- it felt like something was jerking in the transmission. And uh, I turn around just instinctively to look at the tachometer or something, and in my peripheral vision, my mom is running at me from the front porch, waving her hands, and so I stop the car thinking, oh man, my transmission just dropped on the ground, or something's wrong. And then, this beige blur shoots out from under the car and races up to mom, and that was our dog, Maggie. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think what happened is she hit the shift linkage when I ran her over, and that's what I felt in the gear shift. And so I guess they said that I hit her, and she just rolled under the car. And uh, she was a small dog, so thankfully she was okay. She was scared out of her mind. And so she got to mom, and I realized. And then I looked up and met my mom's gaze. (laughs) Had I killed our dog? Now listen, she would have been, I've told you, I've called out to you, I've offered, correct, I mean, she would have done all these things with the slow down, slow down, slow down. But what did it take for me to finally pay attention? I had to run my dog over. Now, thankfully, we didn't kill the dog. But it was, uh, you know, that feeling where like all of your insides go and you're just like scared. That was it. That was an example of my mom is exasperated with me. I'm not listening. So that's the sense I'm getting here of wisdom. This is not like wisdom tried one time and you failed. And now it's time to exact revenge on you. Wisdom has been trying to get your attention. Look at verse 26. How does she respond? And this is the big question of the passage. Is this godliness? Is this kind? Is this love? Is this patience? Is this mercy? doesn't seem like it. Wisdom says, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock you when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm. So what kind of a terror are we talking about? A really bad storm. Uh, the derecho last year was horrendous. It was horrible. Like it really messed a lot of stuff up. We lost multiple trees. Thankfully, that was all we lost in our neighborhood. Though people lost parts of their roofs, cars, trees fell on cars, and that's not. And that's not even thinking about. I know a lot of farmers who lost tons of their crops because it flattened them. The derecho was really bad. That's the kind of terror we're talking about when a storm hits, and your calamity comes on you like a whirlwind. That'd probably be like a tornado. We wouldn't think of it. When distress and anguish come upon you. So why then is wisdom laughing at us in a situation that's so bad? Doesn't that seem harsh? Like if you, have a, as a parent, warned your child, don't jump too high on the trampoline or you might fall and break a leg. And you say that every day and they jump too high. And then one day you're out there and you see them jump. And they go at the funny angle and they land on the ground and their femur just goes right in half. If you walked up and just started laughing, like, now some of you kids, some of you teens and kids are like, my dad would do that. (laughs) Okay, that's what you think. He's not. No, your dad or mom might, like, they might like to goad you, but I guarantee you, you break a femur on a trampoline, they're going to come to your aid and they're going to love you. But why would wisdom stand behind them and laugh at you? That doesn't seem very godly. All right. So, it's not actually that God is laughing at you. And it's not actually that wisdom... Wisdom is not a real person here. It's a metaphor. The idea is that the results of your poor choice mock you. So, I'll give you two examples. Sorry, two personal stories. Um, Anyone ever eat wasabi? No? Okay. Think of the hottest thing you've ever tasted. Okay? That, okay, it's not that hot, but it's really, really hot. So I go to a Chinese restaurant with his family, my my buddy and his parents. And uh, they bring egg rolls out, and there's these sauces. And there's this kind of whitish, greenish sauce. And uh, he's like, okay, now, Andy, now, this guy's a jokester. He's always pranking me. Me and and my buddy, who's his son, he's always messing with us. He's like, now, Andy, listen. Okay, look, there's this green sauce. It's called wasabi. Be careful. Just take the tiniest bit of it. And so he, like, barely touches a spoon where it's like a pinprick drop. And I'm like, he's messing with me. So I just take my egg roll and dunk, okay <laughs> And so the cool thing is that if you've ever had like um like like Mexican hot sauces, they kind of they kind of like hit your mouth really hard. but wasabi has horseradish in it, and i so I took a bite of that thing, and then for like two or three chews, it was fine, and then it hit, and it had that like when you smell ammonia and it clears out your sinuses. And I'm literally, I literally have tears in my eyes, my forehead sweating, and I spit the whole thing out, and I take water. Now, (laughs) he is also crying, but it's because he's laughing so hard at me. Now, okay. Now, that was okay, okay, I'm not in mortal danger, all right, that's no big deal. But he's laughing at me, but I'm also living in regret. Because I can't go back and not take that bite anymore. And that's the idea. I knew better, I was told better, but when I didn't respond appropriately, as I am dealing with the consequences, in my head there's a voice saying, you're so dumb, <laughs> you knew better. All right, so the pinnacle story in my life is my dad. Uh, we had a cher- crab apple tree in the backyard, and we cut it down, and there was just this stump. And we need to get rid of the stump, and so my dad was going to go take the axe and like cut at the stump. And I was like ten, and I'm like, Dad, can I can I go take the axe on the stump? And so uh, you, you know, when you're a parent and you look at your and you're like, I shouldn't do this, but you're like, okay. And he's like, okay, but just and he warned me to be really careful that when I hit. I hit the thing I was chopping, and I didn't go past it and hit the axe handle. Because if I did that, it would break, and then I couldn't use the axe, or I'd, like, fling the axe head somewhere. And so he gave me this really clear explanation, but I already knew that. And so I just was like, Dad, I know. This is very disrespectful. He's like, okay, here you go, son. And so he goes back to work in the garage, and I go out to chop the thing up. And when you give a 10-year-old an axe, they immediately feel like they're 25 times stronger, and they're an adult. And so I'm going to go out and I'm going to give that axe a pe- or that uh, stump a piece of my mind, you know. And so I'll let you guess how many swings did it take for me to hit the axe handle? <laughs> how many did I get before I, I heard the crack? One. It was one. <laughs> my first swing, I miss, and I hear this, <clears throat> and it was like wisdom was going. <clears throat> told ya <laughs> Now Wisdom wasn't really mocking me but I was regretting it. I knew better. He j- literally just told me and I go out and I hit. And now I'm dealing with the I knew I shouldn't have done that. Why did I do it? But can I go back in time? No, I just had to go and say, "Dad." And he's doing something to the bench. Yeah? I broke the axe handle. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> now the cool part is my dad was very godly. and so in James it says when we ask for wisdom from God that he upbraideth us not he doesn't he doesn't say I told you so or you you again. I told you you should know better. God is kind and gracious And my dad was kind and gracious, he took the axe and got it fixed. Uh, my brother came out and thanked me and I said why? And he's like, because now I'm the good son. And uh, I was like, oh man that hurts. All right, now, so that's that's like the ha-ha funny illustration. But if you think about your own life, and I've got stories of my own, I can think about times where I knew better, I ignored good counsel, and then I reaped the consequences. And there was no way to undo those consequences. In fact, uh, one time I cartwheeled my car because I was trying to show off for a friend on a gravel road, and uh, I ended up like fishtailing and then going into the ditch and putting the car up on a farm's like a farm line's fence post like a, a barbed wire fence post um, there's lots of things I've done in my life where people told me you should be careful and I didn't listen and then as you're sitting starting to reap you're taking that first swing of the sickle at the harvest of your, un- 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 with your lack of wisdom and you're, you're thinking I can't go back and do anything about it and that's what it's like in life sometimes You know what you should do, God's been wise, he's told you, but we don't heed it, and then we just have to reap the fruit of that. So here, I'm trying to defend God's character. When wisdom laughs, it's a metaphor that we've probably all been there. You know what it's like to not have listened, and then feel that regret, and you can't go back and change it. Now, I think Solomon is very wise to personify wisdom this way, because it's arresting to think that wisdom's going to laugh at me and make fun of me, but that's not the point, but getting you to think about it. I think his desire is that now this will burrow itself into your mind. And hopefully the next time we encounter one of these situations we'll think about, "Oh, okay. Man, Wisdom's going to laugh at me." Now it gets even worse in verse 28. So we had the warning, then we had her laughter, now we're going to get her silence. And this is where it really you really start to think like, "Really is God abandoning me in my in my bad situation? Is he abandoning me?" Verse 28. Then they will call upon me, but I won't answer. They'll seek me diligently, but they won't find me, because they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. Now I'm going to stop here. Um, go over just one chapter. Go to the beginning of chapter one, and notice all of the, th- the all of the adjectives that are connected to the fear of the Lord. Verse 2, the purpose of wisdom is to know wisdom, or the purpose of Proverbs, sorry, is to know wisdom and instruction, understand to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise behavior, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, skip down to 6 where we haven't read yet, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So notice you've got knowledge, wisdom, instruction, understanding, prudence. Those five terms are all related to wisdom. How do you get that wisdom? Look at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise what? Wisdom and instruction. So if you want to be wise, if you want to be well instructed, and if you want to have the knowledge God wants you to have... What is it that you need to do? You need to fear the Lord. And so now flip back to verse 28. Excuse me, verse, uh, verse 29. Why is this person in the situation they're in? It's not merely that they didn't make a wise financial decision. It's not that they didn't have enough schooling to know that if you run over a dog, it could hurt the dog. Those aren't the issues. The issue is that they don't fear the Lord. So in my axe handle story, when my dad told me things, did I know the verse, children obey your parents unto the Lord for this is right? I did. I didn't need to be educated. But I didn't fear the Lord. I didn't love the Lord. That's basically the same thing. I loved myself. I wanted happiness and fun. and I didn't want to listen to my father, who the scriptures tells me I ought to listen to. And so do you see, it wasn't simply an intellectual thing there for me. It was a heart-level moral problem. I don't fear the Lord. Had I feared the Lord, I would have heeded what my father said. And so it says, the fear of the Lord is the issue, verse 29, because they hated knowledge, which you get from the fear of the Lord, and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. Verse 30, they would have none of my counsel. They despised all of my reproof. So what have they done? They have rejected wisdom. So what's the response? What's the result? Verse 31, Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their ways and have their fill of their own devices. So if you take 28 where she says, I'm not going to answer you, and then you take 31 and say, look, they're going to receive, they're going to reap the results, I think that is an understanding of, that's helping us to understand what she says. Wisdom offers wisdom. It's the fear of the Lord. When you reject that, and then you reap the consequences. You're going to laugh or mock or regret your actions later. You're going to remember that point where someone told you what you should do. You're going to remember what the Bible said. You're going to remember what your pastor said. You're going to remember what your parents said. you remember what your wise counsel in life said that you disobeyed and you didn't follow. And you're going to sort of kick yourself. You ever say, like, oh, I was kicking myself. That's the idea. You you could say that like wisdom will kick you, but that has a little bit more of a violent idea. Um, That's not translation, by the way. I'm just saying it's the same thought. And so here, when she doesn't answer you, think about what that might be. Many times, uh, like James says, if you want wisdom, what do you have to do? Cry out to God. And then what does he do? He gives it to you liberally. The issue here is that you've already rejected the wisdom You're already in the situation that you're reaping the consequences for. And now you're going to say, please, can you get me out of this? But the God-ordained plan is that we go through those situations and hopefully we learn. And so you'll pray, you'll pray, you'll pray, and God may not take away the consequences. In fact, I think if he's shepherding you and sanctifying you, then he probably won't. Uh, Parents in the room, there's times where you've seen your child do the wrong thing. And you've allowed them to experience the consequences because you know that's the thing that they need to learn. I've had, um, I've had student issues where we a student does something wrong at school and there are consequences and they allow it to take place because that's part of the way you grow. I, in my own life, I know there are times when my parents could have saved me from the consequences of my poor choices... But because they allowed that, I learned lessons. And I think that's the God-ordained way in some cases. Now, God is merciful and gracious, and there are many times I haven't had to face the consequences, praise the Lord, uh, that I should have. But I think that's the idea here. That's the silence. Think back to times you have prayed and asked God for something, and he did not give you a yes, but he gave you a no. And you thought, man, did he not hear my request? Possibly uh, he had a no, he always hears, possibly he just had a no. Uh, but it may have been that in those situations, you should have been doing something and you knew better. And God wants you to grow. He loves you. And so he's allowing you to go through those kinds of consequences. I don't want to say what God's doing in your life. I don't know him. I don't have the mind of God. But do you see what wisdom is saying here? If you would listen to me, just turn. Turn to the Bible. Turn to the fear of the Lord. And she will pour out her spirit on you, and you'll become wise. You'll have knowledge, you'll have understanding. But if you persist in your ungodliness and your sin, and you don't fear the Lord, there will come a day where you'll regret what you've done, and she'll laugh. And there will come a day where it's really bad, and you'll want to get out of what you're in, and it'll seem like she's silent. It's not that God doesn't like you. It's just this is what the warning is from Solomon. Now, here's the application. This is nice. Sometimes as a preacher, you get to the end, and you've got to apply it. Uh, But here Solomon does it for us. Verse 32. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and complacency of the fools destroys them. I want to pause. We've seen the word turn already. Where have we seen that? What verse of... This is like, I'm a teacher now, not a preacher. You answer. What verse? What's that? Yeah, 23 at the very beginning. What was the offer? If you just turn... And it says, if you turn at my reproof, my rebuke, if you would turn to God. But because it's not that you just persisted, it's that you were also turning away. So, what is it that actually kills a person sometimes? It's turning away from wisdom. And the complacency of fools destroys them. Now, complacency is the idea of, um, if you, other places it might be translated carelessness, or even you could say like being at ease. So think of like when the last time you were like totally relaxed and at ease and comfortable. Um, probably in those situations, you're not looking out for something bad to happen. Um, if you are a guard and you get too careless or too at ease, then you stop watching what the people you're guarding are doing, and maybe they can slip away. That's the idea here is the, the fool is careless, and that ends up killing him. I just want to offer that sometimes the issue in life is a sin that we know about and that we need to avoid. But sometimes it's not a sin. It's just something that's not helpful. But we're careless, and so we don't worry about it. So for my example, I used to play this video game on my phone, and uh, it took a lot of my time. It wasn't a sinful video game. It wasn't like I was like doing actual drug runs or something, like some weird thing. It was just a game. It was a competition game. And I would play that on my phone. It wasn't sin. But it sure took up a lot of my mind space. It sure took up a lot of my attention. And there were times I probably loved that more than my Bible, okay? And uh, so I was at a camp one time, and a preacher was preaching. And the preacher pointed out that in life, if you want to grow in godliness, it's not only saying no to sins. It's also looking at the things in your life that don't help you focus on God and take your attention away from Him good things, things that are okay, and saying, you know what? I'm going to deny myself those so that I can have a better walk with God. And so what did I do? By God's grace, I gave up the video game, and so I don't play video games on my phone anymore because I think it's, it's too much time wasting for me. Is it a sin? No. Can you not play video games on your phone? No, go ahead. But I know for me, it was something that was pulling me away from God. And so here I think you have both of those in verse 32. The simple, the naive ones are killed because they turn away from God's wisdom. And then the fools get complacent and they get destroyed. Now, the fools are sinful, but I do think there are times where it's not a sin per se that you need to get rid of in your life. That's one application. What's the second application? Verse 33, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. So the fool is at ease in the wrong way. But when you listen to lady wisdom, you get to be at ease in the right way. And listening here is more than just hearing. It's heeding or it's obeying. So my my parents said all kinds of things to me. And I, I air quote listened because I knew what I was supposed to do, but I didn't air quote listen because I didn't obey. I didn't follow through. So today, ask yourself in your own life, is there something that's, not necessarily sinful per se, but it's not beneficial in how you walk with the Lord. If you have something like that, I think this text might want to, want you to consider, is, is that something you need to give up? Or maybe perhaps even limit? Uh, perhaps, though, there's some area in your life where you're persisting in sin and folly. The warning here is for you. If you continue to persist on that path, there may come a day where you can't go back from that. You, you want to but the consequences are there and God's wisdom is available now now is the time to turn uh, It's not a coincidence that you showed up to church today and this is the passage that the preacher picked now I don't know anyone in here I, oh, I, don't, I don't know I didn't I knew like two of you actually before I got here but I didn't think of any of you I'm like, oh this I think this might be what we should go through today perhaps God's using this in your life right now this is his words it's as though he's speaking to you consider what that is, maybe write it down, maybe pray about it, and maybe talk to someone wiser, talk to your pastor, but not this week, okay? Because he needs some time, all right? And I'm, and I'm, not, the, I'm not the pastor, and so I can say, give him some space. <laughs> but, but reach out to someone else, or schedule, use one of those things called a calendar, and say, hey, can I meet with you next week? And uh, Or your parents, or someone who's wise and godly in this church. All right, the last thing I want to say before we go, is, do you notice how free and gracious the offer is? It's just like the gospel in the New Testament. It's turn. You don't have to make up for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to make yourself acceptable to God. In fact, you can't do any of those things. You merely trust him and turn. So do that. Trust him and turn. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, God, for being so kind to us. Lord, you're a gracious God. You're patient with us. You're merciful. Father, you don't keep a record of all the wrong things we've ever done. If you did, Lord, who could stand? David says that in his psalm. But, Father, you are merciful and gracious, and today you are that too. I pray first, Father, I pray that if we sense that we lack wisdom because we lack the fear fear of you, God, that perhaps we dive into the word personally, Lord, during the week, not just waiting until we're here on Sunday. Father, I pray for those of us who may have some patterns and habits in our lives that are not particularly or specifically sinful, God, but they drag us away from loving and living for you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to consider areas like that, that we could give over and give up in an effort to heed Lady Wisdom. Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your son, most of all, God, who if it were not for him, Lord, it would be no point in us coming together today and trying to do this on our own. Thank you for his grace and his sacrifice for us. Lord, I pray that you would bless us today, Lord. I pray that we would enjoy this day, that we would think often of you and we would seek to be an encouragement to one another. We love you. In your son's name we pray, amen.